Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Amen. Please be seated. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, is it not? Y'all ready to get into the Word today? We're going to get there in just a couple moments. Uh, first, I would like to just honor some folks who are in the room. I don't know where you are, but where's Carlos? And Carlos and Stefan, where are you? Where are you? Stand if you would, please. Hey, there you go. There you go. Those of you who don't know, Carlos and Stefan served faithfully at this church on staff for several years and had all sorts of great creative touches around that you can still see today. Hey, it's good that you're back, and if you want to stay, that's cool too, so go ahead. Uh, they don't need you in Texas, go ahead and stay here. Um, but hey, it's good to be here, and it's just good to be, honestly, in a new season, in a new series. Anybody excited about Thanksgiving? It's going to be here soon. Yes. You, you act like you're already tired from the turkey already, like, I don't know. All right. I'm going to go either way, so it doesn't really matter, I guess. But hey, so I just want to kind of survey the room a little bit. And I want to just ask, has there anyone in, in a situation similar to this to where maybe you lost your keys, and in losing your keys, you're, okay, you're looking at each other right now. Look at me, okay? <laughs> you're, like, you lose your keys, and now I know who loses their keys all the time, but you lose your keys, and then, like, the moment that you lose your keys, it's like you're frantic, and you got to get outside the door, and then you just stop in the moment, and you just say something like, to God, at least you're saying it kind of to God, and you're just like... God, please help me find my keys so I can get to work and my boss isn't mad at me again or something like that, right? And then all of a sudden you stop, you take a breath, and then it's as if the Lord says, oh, your keys are right over there underneath the towel in the kitchen, right? And then you go there and you're like, here's the keys, thank you, Lord, ah! and then you, then you go and do your thing, right? Or maybe it's a situation that some of you can track with because you never lose your keys. I typically don't lose my keys. As soon as I say that, I'll give a testimony of me losing my keys, but I know how that works too. But it's also like maybe you're at work and you've been working on this, this presentation or this project for a long time and you've put all of this effort into it and yet you know there's some missing pieces and you know there's also a deadline and now as the deadline is slowly encroaching and you don't know what to do and yet what do you do in that moment? You're like, I've done everything, I've done everything. And in that moment of desperation, you just, again, look up to heaven and say something to God, please, God, help me to... to have the missing pieces to this project or, or whatever it is that I'm in the middle of. And God, just please help me to do this. And then all of a sudden, there's just a spark of creativity. That divine genius sparks in you. And then that thing that you wanted, that you didn't even know that it existed, God showed you and then it connected. Okay, some of you, can't, some of you, some of you cannot relate to this, so I'll, I'll break it down to another level. Prom's coming. And you don't have a date. And all of your friends have a date to prom. And you feel nervous because all of your friends have a date to prom. And all the friends that you would go if you didn't have a date, they have a date. So now you can't go to prom as friends. Okay? You're feeling the tension with me, aren't you? So it's prom time. And then, and then in a moment of desperation, you cry out and ask God, say, God, please allow me to have a date to prom. And then Susie, whatever her name is, like that person or like whatever his name is, it's like it just happens. And then all of a sudden you have a date to prom and all is well in your teenage world. Anyone ever been there? Just so I kind of spoke to everybody who's in the room. 
Some of you are like, no, I didn't have a date to prom. Sorry, pray harder. I don't know what to say to that, but I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Relax, take a deep breath. Here to have some fun, learn some things from God's word. Here's the thing. In all of, these, in all of those moments and so many more, those are what I call divine downloads. Sometimes a divine download is something that is, that is kind of abstract and not even as spiritual as what we think it is. And sometimes it's just what we need in the moment. And that we get this divine download in the midst of our life when we stop and ask God, say, God, just please do this or show this or bring this person or this circumstance. Please help me. And then God helps us. You see, sometimes what we do is we get a divine download because we ask things of God. And then sometimes God just asks things of us. And then he also gives a divine download. Do you know the difference? It's, we, we're crying out to God, asking him for something, and he gives it. And sometimes he gives us something that we don't even know that we need. And God is so gracious like that. I love passages of scripture like we find in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. And just speaks to that situation and so many more. That passage says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth to, in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That God will give you what you need when you need it and not a moment before. He, he, God is always on time. He is on his time and he's not always on our time. But as long as we submit ourselves to him, that we'll always be on time. Amen? Amen. I feel like sometimes I need to be an auctioneer. I feel like get all these tongue twisters. I'll break it down to the most simplest of levels before we jump into Isaiah's story and see this divine download that Isaiah was given by God through this miraculous way, and then he gave this message to the people in need at the time. And I know that the word is just going to bear fruit in you because you're also a people in need of the word at this time. As a summary statement, I'll just say it in this way. The Holy Spirit provides wisdom, ideas, and creativity when we most need it, helping us to overcome challenges and achieve things we never thought possible. The Holy Spirit, being our counselor, provides wisdom. He provides wisdom and ideas and creativity when we most need it. And what we're going to talk about this week and next week, you need the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for you to be able to do it. You, under your own power, will not be able to fulfill what it is that God wants you to. And God doesn't want you to just white-knuckle this or to go about it in your own way. He wants you to go about it in His way. You see, it's when we need it the most, helping us as individuals to overcome the challenges that we face in life and to achieve that we never thought possible. It may sound even impossible by the way I'm sharing it, but the way that I'm talking about it. But as we look at Isaiah and we, we see and experience secondarily the divine download that he receives to the people of God, we're going to see that Isaiah was on a mission to share the message of God to God's people. And we too are on a mission. And the mission that we are called to is a mission of sharing Jesus' love for people. We too are on a mission. Isaiah had his mission and he was relying upon God in, in the circumstance and the time frame at about 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah would be one of the prophets who would be, like I talked about last week, there would be near and far fulfillments of his prophecy. Don't think about it in like Back to the Future to where it's like Marty McFly and, you know, in, in the doctor and in the flux capacitor and, you know, in the, in, the, in the DeLorean. Don't think of it in that way. Okay, so it isn't something like that. Instead, it's 
God allowing him to see in real time something that is about to happen in current time, but then also something that's going to happen in a future time. And that's what we see with Isaiah and really many of the prophets following the same line. The main passage we're going to be looking at, I invite you to open up to, is in Isaiah. Again, you may already have been there because you see it on the worship guide. But Isaiah 58, 1 through 3. We have some other supporting passages. And although this is the main passage, we're actually going to start just as a, a runway into this passage. And we're going to start in Isaiah 57. And the reason why is because when we want to interpret what it is that the Bible has for us, we want to try and do the best we can to interpret it in, in the way that it was intended in the flow of the passage around it. So I thought it best to read the flow of the passage right before it. That way we can see the tension, largely, that we find with Isaiah. Isaiah, that particular book of the Bible, is lodged in the Old Testament. Uh, some of you don't know this, but the, the Bible is divided between the Old, Tes Old Testament and New Testament. It's not divided equally. There are actually more books in the Old Testament than the New but think of the, the Old Testament not as old and crusty and as irrelevant. Think of it as just talking about uh, the, the covenant, the relationship that God had with his people and just the storyline of that. And through that also are these, these prophecies, these foretelling of events of the coming of Jesus. So when we go into the Old Testament, we should be looking intently on the things that point us towards Jesus. Of course, it's Old Testament and New Testament. The New Testament is of the New Covenant. It's the one that Jesus brought in. It's the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. So, just so we understand the, the passage uh, or the part of Scripture that we're going to be in, let's look in Isaiah 57, 14 through 21, just so we get the flow of Scripture before we get into our main. If you're ready, say, I am. Here we go. Verse 14, God says, rebuild the road, clear away the rocks and stones so my people can return from captivity. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this. I live in the, the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. For I will not fight against you forever. This is God to God's people. I will not always be angry. If I were, all people would pass away, all the souls I have made. I was angry, so I punished these greedy people. I withdrew them, but they kept going on their own stubborn way. I've seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them, God says. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. May their abundant peace, both near and far, says the Lord, who heals them. Both those who still reject me are like the... Restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. A very firm word brought through Isaiah. Now, into the main passage, starting in verse 1 of chapter 58 in the book of Isaiah. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and is not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, and they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves 
and yet you have not noticed. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. This is the rebuke that the people hear at that time. Notice in verse 1, notice how this verse starts. It starts in a very uncomfortable way for many people who call themselves Christians today. And here's what I mean. Because notice the, the, very, the translation I'm reading from, and the word that starts out with, shout it aloud, do not hold back. If I'm honest with, it, with what is running rampant throughout American Christianity and Western Christianity is cultural Christianity. And part of cultural Christianity is, I don't need to tell people about Jesus. I would just show them Jesus by how I live. The problem is, you can never bring a person to a point of conversion simply by showing them how the Christian life is lived. It requires words. It requires a plan of sorts of salvation. It isn't a matter of, I will just live my life on the periphery, and you'll see the difference in me, and then you'll automatically become inquisitive as to why I'm different. That's not what we're supposed to be about. We are evangelistic. That means that we are to be about the kingdom of God. We're about to be inviting people into the kingdom of God, which means that we are about helping people as the Holy Spirit works in us and works through them to bring people to a place of conversion, converting away from their old life, repenting of their sins, and leading into the new life, the one that Christ offers and the one that the Holy Spirit inspires and the one that they can know that they're loved by God, that they're no longer orphans. They're no longer enslaved to fear, but instead they live by faith. But yet, in the very beginning of verse 1, this, this rests heavy against the sensibilities of many of us in, in the West, really, in America, I'll just say, and even where we are, because we've settled for a lesser bit of the Christian lifestyle that we're supposed to have. And notice how Isaiah, it doesn't say shrink back. Just show them God. It's not vague in that sense, is it? God is not vague when he brings a message to his people. He says, shout it aloud, do not hold back. I think of the, the imagery of, of a megaphone. And, and yet, I don't know about you, but I, I've seen people on street corners who call themselves Christians just barking out at people with the megaphone where we used to live in Georgia. Somebody used to stand right at the, at the, uh, the sidewalk, right in front of the courthouse, right in the main uh, kind of thoroughfare in the middle of the city with the bullhorn just calling people to repentance like John the Baptist. And, and I, I'm not going to lie, there's many times I would look at that, I would look at that guy and I would say, man, are, is that really effective? Like, who are you talking to? You're talking to cars it's hot in Georgia. They have their windows up. They can't hear a word you're saying. They just know that there's some guy out there just calling out with the megaphone. And yet, I don't know, maybe, maybe God inspired him that he was to be the voice in the wilderness like John the Baptist. Who am I to say that he's doing something that's wrong? But you see, this speaks into, I think, what's true of also of me and maybe of you. We look at the person who has the bullhorn or the megaphone or the person who's just shouting out or the person who's always spouting about Jesus or the Holy Spirit, all those things. Sometimes we may get offended thinking that their message is actually too firm. And instead, maybe what we need to do is we need to be, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to offend us because our message is too soft. So instead of, of looking at somebody who's just so out front with their faith and maybe us, we're kind of like, I'm just going to show Jesus at work. You see the Jesus in me? I don't cuss. 
as much as I used to. I don't talk bad about people in front of them. It's like we do all these things expecting them to just see Jesus radiating from us. And sure, that might happen. But if we're going to bring people to a place of conversion, and what I'm saying is so against the cultural grain, and I know it. But I'm not called to be a cultural Christian. I'm called to be an evangelical Christian, and that's what I am. And if you are a part of this church and you're a member of this church, that's what you are too. Is you are a person who's supposed to be sharing Jesus Christ with other people with words. With words. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. I wish I had a trumpet. That would have got some attention, but I don't. It probably would have been funny me trying to play the trumpet in front of you. That's probably all you would have walked away with. But notice the message at the end of verse 1. The message that Isaiah is, is not a message of like, you know, kitty cats and rainbows and everything's awesome. Instead, it's what? Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. This was Isaiah's call. The calling that Isaiah had upon his life was to do things like this and to speak with this kind of ferocity. The very name Isaiah means the Lord saves. His name encapsulates the work that he did and also the one that he would prophesy about, that being Jesus Christ, hundreds of years later coming into uh, planet Earth. But how cool is it that that's his name? A little background about Isaiah. His wife is actually referred to as a prophetess in Isaiah 8.3. So she herself is a prophetess. So there's, they're just spiritually aligned. They're just doing incredible things and they're doing it together, which I think is really neat. And also, uh, the Lord commanded Isaiah later on, uh, excuse, well, excuse me, it's earlier than what we're reading, but we're about to be somewhere else. But anyway, it's where my brain's going right now. It's, it's everywhere. Um, it's like the game Super Breakout in Atari, how the ball goes up in the thing. That's my brain most of the time, just so you know. Give me grace, please. But the Lord commanded Isaiah to go barefoot for a period of three years, wearing only a loincloth. In other words, kind of like underwear in public. And, and imagine how bizarre that was in that society, just as it would be odd in ours. Although you could probably go to Walmart and see that right now. I don't know. But I'm just saying, <laughs> things are different there at times. However, in their day and age, he was to do this, not for the sake of bringing attention to himself, but he was to live and speak the very message of God and the message of God that needed to be received when he was literally only wearing a loincloth and going barefoot for three, for three years in public was because those people were all caught up in dress codes and everything was about their outward adornment. So God sent a prophet with the exact opposite lifestyle to bring the message of God to the people of God that needed it. So it wasn't by mistake, and this message that we see here is not by mistake. Isaiah worked to reform social and, and political wrongs. As a matter of fact, his, his call into ministry is profound to me. We're going to do a, a quick flyover of this. I invite you to go to the left in your Bible to Isaiah 6. We're going to look at the first eight verses. Every time I go through this passage of Scripture throughout the, I don't know how many years I've been preaching, I'm always in awe of this particular passage for a bunch of different reasons. But Isaiah 6, I said Isaiah 8. I meant Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Isaiah 6 is 
Isaiah's commission and call into ministry. And it's a remarkable one. You talk about a divine download. This is where it comes in. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with its six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and two, they covered their feet, and two, they were flying. So these are angels. So he has a, uh, these angels appear to him or as over the throne of God. The seraphs have six wings. Their faces uh, were, were covered with two of the wings just to, to show the, just shielding themselves from the, the radiance and glory of God. The, the wings covering their feet just to, just to show them just the humility of, of them being in the presence of God, that their unworthiness to show their humility. And then the other two wings, not as fancy, they were for flying. But this is the imagery that, that he has in his mind before this next part happens. Verse 3. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Notice Isaiah's response to what he's just experienced, seeing the throne of God and the angelic beings and the seraphs flying above him and, and all of the trembling and shaking that are in his midst. Notice his response, if you will, woe to me, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He looks at just the, the radiance and glory of God, and as he looks at the purity, radiance, and glory of God, he sees his own sin, shame, and unworthiness. Because you and I, friends, we cannot look at the face of God and understand and just get to know God in a personal way without also being humble and falling before, our, falling before our Creator on our face in humility before Him because we have never on earth experienced that kind of perfection and holiness. We will. If we're in Christ, we will. And we will have no sin hindering us from being with Him as what we should have been and what we would have been if sin was not introduced. Notice also the message that comes in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Notice what Isaiah says. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. It's because of this type of encounter that Isaiah commits his life to ministry. That he would then become a, a vessel and a vehicle of God's message, of God's mercy and God's judgment and God's grace forthcoming. But yet Isaiah committed his life to this work because he had a moment like that. You, friends, if you've given your life to Jesus, 
You, your moment may not have been you peering into the throne of God with seraphs, with their six really cool wings that I still cannot put my mind around even seeing and experiencing. You haven't had a moment like that. Um, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, probably not. But here's the thing, yours, if you've committed your life to Jesus and you've gone from death to life, your story is just as miraculous. And your message and your purpose for living is the same as Isaiah's, to bring the good news to others, to share of God's love to others. It's when these people weren't doing it is when they got in trouble. You see, Isaiah, back to our original passage, Isaiah was a watchman. He was watching the people, receiving the message from God, and then delivering that message to those who needed it. He was awake to the dangers of God's people. God saw to it. The idea of a watchman is still carried out today with people who have been placed in leadership over you, like pastors and deacons and ministry leaders. They're watchmen over the flock. You, as parents, you're watchmen over your family. If you're grandparents, you are still watchmen over your family that is growing. That doesn't stop. That just continues to grow. As the family flourishes, so does the ministry that we even have in the home. Jesus is our ultimate watchman and shepherd. Amen? There's a, a great interaction, many of these interactions. I love this. Maybe it says something about me. But I love Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. I love it. The Pharisees were, were a unique group of people. And they were the, the, they were the rule keepers. They were the people who, uh, to give an analogy, they would be the people, if you were playing Uno, okay, who knows what Uno is, raise your hand, right? They would be the type of people when you're playing Uno that would strictly enforce that you cannot stack draw fours. That's the kind of people they are. Because by the rules... You can't stack draw fours. But if you've ever played Uno and you're looking at a draw four and it's on you and you've got one in your hand, you want nothing more than to skirt the rules and drop that draw eighth on the next person, right? Let's be honest, that's kind of how it works. Pharisees, they were like, they were the rule keepers. They were the person when you're playing Uno, they say, no, that's not the rule. As a matter of fact, they were so bent on the rules that again, keeping the Uno analogy, they would not allow you to have any fun at all because all they were doing was so worried about the rules. And yet it was because about the rules, they sucked the life out of the game, just like the Pharisees sucked the life out of a walk with God. Because they imposed the rules, and the more rules that they imposed, they were choking out the life that God had on, had on offer for his people. So Jesus has many interactions with these Pharisees, and he's trying to straighten them out. Not about Uno, but about some things that are even more important. And this is one of the interactions that Jesus had, Matthew 15, 7 through 9. It says this, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So Jesus, he's calling the Pharisees hypocrites because not only are they saying and doing two different things, they're actually imposing 
a life with God to say you can only have a life with God if you hold strictly to all of these rules. And if you hold to these rules and all the other ones that are forthcoming, then God will like you. Then God will love you. Then you can be connected in relationship with God. And Jesus came to, to nullify all that rubbish from the Pharisees and to say, no, no, no. The only way that you can be right with the Father is through me. And I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for you. You need to give your life to me. Once you give your life to me and acknowledge that I died for you, then you can be born again, then you can go from death to life. That's, that's the message of the gospel. You see, rebellious people rejected dedicated spiritual leaders. Same thing happened with the people of God with Isaiah. The people were, were rebellious and they rejected the dedicated spiritual leaders. In that time, they, they, they were rejecting God and they were rejecting what Isaiah had to say. The Pharisees in the, in the same spirit, demonic spirit, the same one that was with the people of God at the time with, with the Israelites in the Old Testament that Isaiah brings a message to is the same spirit that is alive in the Pharisees that Jesus calls out. Rebellious people reject the dedicated spiritual leaders. The challenge is this, when... When God's people reject his word and they start living their life under what they prefer, the dangerous thing is this. God may give them exactly what they want. But what, they may get what they want in the interim, but also if they're not seeking God first, what they may actually get is a lot of regret to follow along. But God also will allow a U-turn and repenting from that to come back to where they started. It's true of them, it's true of us. You see, with the Pharisees, again, with the, the people that Isaiah is bringing a message to, we see this, religious acts without repentance and reform is hypocrisy. The religious acts that the people were going through and they were doing in chapter 58, notice what it says in verse 2, for day after day they seek me out and they... They seem a, eager to know my ways as if, they, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem, I love that word so powerful, they seem eager for God to come near them. But notice what they're doing. And they say, well, why have we fasted? And you've not seen it. So now they're mad at God. They're like, God, we were fasting for you, and you didn't even see it. We were doing this thing, and God, it was for you. At least they said it was for God. But God didn't want them to fast in that way. As a matter of fact, what God wanted them to do, if we were to read the rest of this, this passage, we see this. Why have we fasted, they say, verse 3, and you've not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you, you not even noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. This is God, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Their religious acts, They're without repentance, without reform. They weren't actually honoring God. They were just going through the motions, which is hypocrisy. Notice in verse 2, it says, For day after day they seek me out. And, and notice, notice, notice. They seem, that word, so telling. 
They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right. And it's as if they had not forsaken the commands of its God. So on the surface, it looked like they had it all together. So did the Pharisees. But what's beneath is the part that was driving their decisions. It was what was underneath that God wanted them to repent of. It's what was underneath that needed to be reformed. It's what was underneath that was driving their disobedience. It was underneath that that they did not want to honor God. They simply wanted to do what they wanted to do, and they wanted God to bless their efforts instead of them actually getting on board with what God had and then for them to repent when they weren't on track with God. You may say, well, pastor, what does that have to do with us? Well, I say this firmly, but, but with love, many of you are in the exact same boat as the Pharisees, and many of you are in the exact same boat as the people of Israel that Isaiah was bringing a message to. Your, 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 your walk with God, if you have one, is superficial. It is just skin deep, and, and you... You're, you're living by this veneer of the way that looks to other people. And yet, when other people need the gospel around you, all you do is you put up the front and you allow just the front to bring the message. And you say, well, I'm just going to show them Jesus instead of telling them about Jesus. Because you don't need to just show them Jesus. You need to tell them about Jesus. But you need to get beyond the fear of telling them about Jesus and simply live by faith. And he will. And he does. You may say, well, pastor, that's, I just don't feel worthy of that. You're not. You're not. You may say, well, pastor, I'm not gifted to do that. Isaiah was not. You may say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm just not connected to a lot of people. I bet Isaiah wasn't either. You may say, well, pastor, I just don't understand like, what really the importance of all this is. Can I just show them? But what are you showing them? You're just showing them that you're a good person? Because you can show them that you're a good person and just simply show them that you're moral. But if you actually show them Jesus and share with them the message of Jesus, make no mistake, it's Jesus they see. Not just a good moral person. There's a lot of good moral people. And there's a lot of good moral people who've never seen the kingdom of God. There's a passage of scripture that I cycle through all the time, and I want to share a little story to help you understand my thought process when it comes to ministry, because I know that there's probably some questions around this, and, uh, and hopefully I'll be able to answer some of those questions, and perhaps cause some more. But a passage of scripture that I shared a couple weeks ago, and I share this regularly, is Acts 1.8. And that passage of scripture from the New Testament says this, but you will be my witnesses. Excuse me, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But you will receive power. But you will receive Holy Spirit power is what Jesus is talking about. But you will receive power. Power to do what? You will receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. What do witnesses do after an event? They tell of the vantage point of what they saw and what they experienced. They don't 
show it to them. It isn't Pictionary. They don't just sketch something out or, you know, it isn't gestures where they try and act it out in front of the news media, although that would be amazing. (laughs) They don't. What do they do? They're witnesses. They literally use words and they tell the reporter about what they saw and they experienced. So it is with the people of God. We are to tell other people about what we have seen and what we've experienced and by our walk with Jesus and the Holy Spirit's work within us and allow God to do the rest. But what does that mean for us? That means for us in a, in a simplistic way, if we're to be witnesses, my, here's where I just want to share this story as I, as I wrap up. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up like many of you grew up. You grew up, you've, you've been sitting in a, a pew or a chair for longer than I've been alive and praise God for you. Many of you, you can never remember a time from before you were actually born, you can never remember a time that you weren't in church. I praise God for you and, 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 and all that walk. That's just not my story. I, I had no, no real faith heritage woven into me. When I gave my life to Jesus at 21, I had some church experiences, but none of them were, were about really the gospel. It was about getting like full-size candy bars in Sunday school in the basement of that church. Amen. They were good candy bars. Just saying. I wanted to go back every time I could. But I didn't need candy bars. I needed Jesus. That's what I needed. I needed, but they were, but, but it, was, it was a step. But I didn't receive Jesus until I was 21. So imagine Imagine my, my experience then years later, now been saved for longer than I was unsaved, but let me give you a track record. I was saved in a Methodist church that preached the full gospel, that preached the Bible every week. I realize now that that's like saying that you have like an albino unicorn on trail cam. I understand, <laughs> but it's true. Preached the gospel every week, gave my life to Jesus. I was uh, trained up at a, my graduate school experience was with a Baptist background. I just pastored a church that was a non-denominational church with a Presbyterian leadership style. I do believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and I have, I'm in awe of the ancient contemplative practices that existed thousands of years ago. This is like my faith background. So for me, what I'm about to say only makes sense, but maybe it doesn't make sense to you. We should be willing to do anything except sin to share the gospel. See, I look at all those those backgrounds, and I didn't fall into some sort of universalist trench and trap. I'm clearly not that. But I I had all of those experiences, and God and my theology still in work, but one thing that I'm for sure of is that we should be willing to do anything except sin to share the gospel. When I, was, when, when I was in kids' ministry and some of our other heroes in kids' ministry served with, with Marla and I years ago, they'd be able to verify this story. They used to ask me to lead music at the kids' camp. We would go to Missouri, and usually a vehicle would break down either on the way there or back, as, well, as we were in habit of that. But they would ask me to, to lead music, and sometimes I would speak at those camps. And one of the things 
that they asked me to do was to sing a song from the Partridge family. And it's the song, I think I love you, but what am I so afraid of? And I'm not saying that was a shining moment of ministry for me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm really not. I'm just letting you know that before somebody else tells you a nasty rumor that's actually true, okay? And we actually use, we use that song for gospel purposes. It's possible. Um, not advocating we do that next week. Nate, don't get nervous. We'll be all right. We actually aired that song and played that song and, and again, adapted that to the gospel. And we actually played that song in a, in a service where we talked about what God did and to put a, even a cap on that, we started that service off with somebody doing backflips down the center aisle. And we're not charismatics, but we did it anyway. And all of this to say, in kind of a funny way, I think we should be willing to do anything except sin to bring somebody to Jesus Christ. We can do all those things, but it takes words. Would you stand? God, we thank you for loving us first and loving us always. Lord Jesus, you have put us on an amazing mission to share the gospel with our friends, with our family, even with our church. God, please forgive us when we've got these things wrong. God, please forgive us when we were silent, when we should have been speaking. God, please forgive us when in those moments that we were passive and we didn't go that one extra faith step. God, forgive us in those moments that when we were like the Pharisees, when we were hypocrites. God, please forgive us for those times where we were trying to live under the veneer of, of spirituality but we weren't really trusting you at all God please forgive us for the times where we've we've done all the spiritual things but we've actually done them for the wrong reasons we did them whether to be seen like the Jewish people in Isaiah 58 God, please forgive us for those times that, that our desires brought about our destruction. And God, I thank you that you met us right where we were. You meet us right where we are. And no matter where you are, if you're in this room or you're somewhere connecting to this, this message, there's still hope for you. God's for you. God knows you. He wants you to love him. So Jesus, I just ask that you have your will and have your way. God, if there's someone here this morning who maybe they just need to repent of their hypocrisy. And God, maybe they feel exposed right now and maybe just the first step of faith for them to come forward to come to the altar and just give it to you just as a sign of faith and allow people to pray with them pray over them 
And God, maybe it's in this moment that there's a person that's come to mind that we need to use words to share the gospel with them, to them, while truly loving them. God, we ask that you would do what only you can do. Speak to our hearts. Give us faith to believe. Give us hope. And that shalom peace.